I'm here today with Sarah Griffith Lund. Sarah is an ordained, ordained minister and has served as pastor to churches in Brooklyn, New York, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and New Smyrna Beach, Florida. Reverend Dr. Lund served as regional minister in the Florida Conference of the United Church of Christ and as a vice president for Christian Theological Seminary in Indianapolis. She holds degrees from Trinity University, Princeton Theological Seminary, Rutgers University, and McCormick Theological Seminary. Uh, Sarah received the Dell Award for Mental Health Education at the 30th General Synod of the UCC. She currently serves as Minister for Disabilities and Mental Health Justice on the national staff of the UCC and as Senior Pastor of First Congregational UCC of Indianapolis. Her new book is titled Blessed Youth, Breaking the Silence About Mental Illness with Children and Teens from Chalice Press. And you can learn more at sarahgriffithlund.com. So, Sarah, it's a pleasure, as always, to speak with you, and congratulations on all your wonderful work. Thank you, Brian, so much, and happy Mental Health Month. Yes, yes. Your timing your book was well-planned. <laughs> yeah, Chalice Press has been a wonderful partner in this work. Um, I first connected with them in 2012 around my first project, uh, and so I'm really grateful to Chalice Press. They connected with the Young Clergy Women Project. Okay. Uh, in the desire to bring uh, the voices of young clergy women into publishing. And so it was through that partnership that I submitted my first draft of my manuscript. And so I want to thank the Young Clergy Women, uh, now it's Young Clergy Women International, because that's that group was the first one to see my first manuscript, uh, Blessed Are the Crazy. And when they read through it, they're like, Sarah, tell us more you know, go deeper. And so they really encouraged me into this authentic, you know, storytelling. Hmm. And for me, that's really been the power of breaking the silence hmm. about mental illness is um, destigmatizing the topic, right? We all have mental health, <laughs> right? And it's like physical health. And so I found it so healing I found the power of healing and telling my true story. And so Blessed Are the Crazy came out in 2014, breaking the silence about mental illness, family, and church. And as a pastor, it was my own journey of kind of embracing my whole self and my whole authentic story and bringing the mental illness part of my story into the light and showing myself and the church you know, this is part of who I am also, and not to hide it or be ashamed. And what I found through sharing that book was that so many other people also had stories of mental illness in their life or their families. And it was so a healing to connect around that and to say, you know, me too, you know, you're not alone. You know, I, I hear you. I see you. I believe you. And it's, it really started a movement uh, for me in my work. And through that work, I connected with other people with similar passions and connected to the UCC Mental Health Network. Alan Johnson is a leading thinker in mental health and ministry. And um, he's, he's included in my first book because his church in Boulder, Colorado, started a mental health ministry that became a model for us nationally. And so in the United Church of Christ, we have a ministry called WISE, 
welcoming, inclusive, supportive, engaged for mental health. And it was born out of a local church, First Congregational in Boulder, Colorado. Wow. That's very cool. Very cool. So um, before we get into the new book, could you tell folks a little bit more about the previous books that you've written? Yeah. So so Blessed Are the Crazy was my first book in 2014. And um, like I said, it just kind of opened up the door to all of these conversations and connections. And I realized God was doing something in my life uh, with my vulnerability, with my story. And it was an invitation to make that connection between God's story in the Bible and God's story in our lives. And how can our stories about all the hard stuff, all the messy stuff, all the crazy stuff, um, about disabilities, diseases, disorders, where's God in those stories? Um, and so my first book is about the hard stories of chronic, serious bipolar disorder that eventually took my father's life. He died from it. My brother, his bipolar disorder, um, he is fully disabled from it. And then my cousin who had multiple mental illnesses um, committed a murder in a psychotic episode and was executed by the state of Missouri. I witnessed his execution. Wow. I was his spiritual advisor on death row. Wow. And so in all these moments um, that are shameful and very stigmatized, I said, okay, God, where are you? Hmm. you know, where are you as my dad is homeless? Where are you as my brother is in the psychiatric hospital on Christmas day? Now, where are you as my cousin is being executed? Where is God in that? And not only where is God, but where's the church? You know, and why, why have we been silent for so long about these places of pain and suffering? Um, and so bringing the, the spirit of Christ into that suffering was redemptive for me in terms of, of proclaiming the healing presence of God in all of those moments. And that's why I use the word blessed, because for too long in our Christian tradition, we've seen diseases, illness um, as a curse. You know, all the stories about Jesus healing people, he's casting out demons and evil spirits. And we've always interpreted that to mean the disability or the disease or the illness. That was the evil thing. That was the curse. But what I'm starting to understand is that what Jesus is casting out is stigma. So the Gerasene demoniac, when he encounters Jesus, he's healed and placed in his right mind. What Jesus cast out of him was the stigma that isolated him, mm, mm. that punished him for being different. Mm. You know, he still could have had bipolar disorder. That didn't go away, but what went away was the stigma. Wow. And so, yes. I think of it. So that's what my work is trying to do. And in the field of mental health, we know that stigma is the number one barrier to getting people help and treatment. Mm -hmm. And so in my second book, Blessed Union, came out in 2021. It's the continued story about marriage and mental illness. Um, I was diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder during my marriage. And my husband also diagnosed with major depression, mm. anxiety disorder, and addictions. Mm. And so a lot of marriages where there is both people who have a mental health condition and a divorce, it's like you know, 65, 70, 80% of those marriages because it's so hard. 
mental health impacts how we talk to each other, how we relate, our intimacy, our sense of connection. And so we have all these barriers to really um, staying connected. And so my story is one of encouragement and some suggestions for how to create support in a marriage that has a mental illness. And you know what, Brian, when I talk to folks about it, it, it's such a tender topic, right? It's so taboo because we're so private in our marriages for lots of reasons. We want to protect our partner. Um, There's a lot more stigma, I think, around the marriage because it becomes a question of if my husband is so depressed that he can't get out of bed, is it because I don't love him well enough? If I loved him better or more, would he be happy? And that's a real question. But when there's a serious brain disorder or major depression and even thoughts of suicide, there's no amount of my love as a wife that can save him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so um, I began to realize that he has a, a medical, physical condition, just like if he had cancer. Mm-hmm. And so when he's having his depressive episodes and can't get out of bed, I just realize, okay, his body is unwell, you know, and I imagine him being in a hospital bed. And what would I do if he were in the hospital? I'd come and sit by his bedside and hold his hand. Wow. So there are these moments in our marriage and in lots of marriages where we're just trying to figure out how do we get through this day? And what's so cool, and you know this, uh, working with authors and being an author yourself is the community that um, is born when you write a book like that. So there was a reader who read my book, and then she read another book on a similar topic, and she connected the authors. And so I've been connected to other authors on this topic, and we've launched a national marriage and mental health conference. Wow. We held one in the fall and we're having one in a couple of weeks. Excellent. Um, so Mental Health Strong is the sponsor nonprofit. And there is a whole community of people hungry to stay married and to, to get support, you know, for chronic lifelong mental illnesses. Mm. So that was a really exciting outcome yeah. you know, of that second book, Blessed Union. Wow. Isn't it just amazing? You know, I mean, you know, you're just a poster child for how God can use a person's vulnerability, a person's, you know, state, uh, differences, diversity, you know, it's just like, um, good for, good for you for, I mean, you know, I've often pointed to this essay that Frederick Beekner wrote called the stewardship of pain. Mm -hmm. You've been a great steward of your pain, you know, and, and so, you know, that's just such a blessing to so many people that, especially in a subject like what you've been dealing with, that is, as you said, so commonly stigmatized and avoided. Yes. Thank you. And I love that you said it's a blessing because that's really been my life's work is to claim the blessing. Right. And it's that old theology that says the suffering is a curse. And so I'm saying, no, let's drop that cursed language. That's not helping anyone. Exactly. Well, and it's not reality. It's not reality. It's not even good theology. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there has to be, I'll say, pioneers, you know, like you, that show the way for 
people to see that because it's not what we've been socialized, acclimatized all of our lives to, to think that way or feel that way. Right. And, and so I'm excited about um, all the possible conversations that we can have, right? Um, so that marriage topic, when we surveyed folks who were into this, the biggest issue that they want to break the silence about is sex and mental illness. Mm. And so we did a survey and we got a lot of amazing results. And there were about 200 people who filled out the survey. And so at our conference, um, May 21st, you want to come to that because we're having a whole uh, workshop about sex, intimacy, and marriage with mental health challenges, where we will unveil what the research from that survey is showing us. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Mental Health Strong. So you can look it up and register for that. It's an online conference. Yes. 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 I mean, that that's just so wonderful, Sarah. I'm so glad that you're doing all the work that you're doing. So it really... I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, it just really changes the dynamic when you find community, right? Because so much of this is so um, isolating, right? You think, well, I'm the only one. We're the only couple. We're the only parents going through this. And the truth is you're not. There are lots and lots and lots of people who are going through similar challenges. And so it's really um, powerful to create space or community and connection. Well, you know, your new book is kind of focused on another community, right? Youth, right? And oh my goodness, talk about the mental health challenges there these days. So, you know, tell us about how you got inspired to focus on that to create this book. So Blessed Youth, Breaking the Silence About Mental Illness with Children and Teens, is a continued part of my story. And what we're seeing is that bipolar disorder runs in my family. My dad died from it. My brother is on disability for that. And now the third generation Hmm. has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Hmm. Um, It tends to be genetic. Hmm. And the good news is that my dad never got treatment, never uh, got help. My brother, um, when he was in high school, started to get treatment and help. And now this youngest generation um, is very young, but we were aware of the symptoms and the risk factors and we got treatment for them right away. So that is the good news that the more we know about the brain and mental health, the sooner we can get children the resources. That's where I see the hope. The challenge is that uh, we are in a mental health crisis with our children and teens in America. The Surgeon General issued an advisory in December stating we are in a mental yes. health crisis. Yes. And it was actually building before the pandemic. And the pandemic just pushed the gas pedal and accelerated all of that. So coming out now where we are uh, in the pandemic, high, high rates of depression and anxiety for teenagers and higher rates of suicide. Tragically, this was our family's experience. In the fall of 2020, my niece died by suicide at age 16. Oh, boy. And it ripped open my heart. Ripped open my heart. And our family's totally devastated, shocked, um, outraged, angry. How could this happen? Why did this happen? And so I talked to Chalice Press and I said, look, 
I've got to do something. You know, this um, this cannot happen to another child and to another family. And so they agreed. They said, yes, we need you to write this book. Wow. And so Blessed Youth is the story of our family's struggle with how to care for our children and teens. And it's an invitation for families, faith communities, schools, nonprofits to come together to support our children and teens. My niece had a vision. Her school project the semester before she died was to create a nonprofit called Sentimental that would bring mental health education into schools. And so she had a whole plan and she said, there's still stigma. And so she wanted herself and her peers to not carry the stigma and shame. And as I think more about her death, I believe that stigma contributed to her suicide. And so um, I have the survival guide too, in addition to the main book. And this is really uh, inspired by my niece. And it's a toolkit for teenagers to create their own um, plan for how to get help Hmm. when they're in a crisis Hmm. and also a safety pledge. My niece told a couple of peers about her plans for suicide, but no adults were told. And her friends didn't know who to tell or what to do. Hmm. And so I created a plan where every teen promises that if they have thoughts of suicide or self-harm, they will tell three trusted adults. Wow. And they write down the adult's name, cell phone mm-hmm. number, mm-hmm. and they actually sign, I promise, you know, I, Sarah, promise. Mm-hmm. And they sign their name and they have a witness that, that says, okay, this is your promise. And I believe we're at a point where every child and teen needs a safety plan. Every child and teen needs a mental health checkup. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a rite of passage when you have a baby and they start to develop teeth to take them to the dentist. And we all kind of remember their first dentist well, appointment. Well, child. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And then dental cleaning every six months, your child gets their dental cleaning. Why do we treat the brain <laughs> yeah. so much worse? You know, it's our brain. It's, yeah. it's everything. And so I would love to see us get our kids mm-hmm. in for a mental health checkup every six months. Well, and, and that way we will get them the support that they need to flourish. And well, if there's any symptoms or signs, we'll get the treatment to them right away. And, and, you know, to your point about the survival guide, I mean, so many instances, I think, right, where children or teens have got some challenge, some mental health challenge, nobody knows. Right. Like it's not, it's hidden. Right. And so putting things like that, tools like that in the hands of everyone, right, has got to be helpful. Yes, and it's hidden. Yeah, I mean, it's hidden for lots of reasons. And as I dug more into the topic, as parents, we feel shame because if we see our child behaving or having certain things going on, we think it's our fault. Yeah, yeah. And so we have guilt and shame. And so we are slow to respond, to take to a doctor, to take to get evaluated, to take to get diagnosed because of our own self-stigma. You know, we think, oh, not my family, not my child. You know, we're in denial about what's going on. And so there's a big delay in getting children the help that they need. And then when I talk to youth in churches and I say, I said to a youth group, so do you feel like you can talk to the people in your church about your mental health? And they were really quiet. And then they said, no. Mm. 
And I listened and I said, well, why is it? And they said, well, growing up in this church, they still see us as those little happy kids. (laughs) And we don't feel like we can tell them what's really going on because we'll disappoint them. I mean, who doesn't feel that way? You know, as children, you know, that that's, I think, probably pretty universal. Right. <laughs> and then and then we think um, if a child is acting a certain way or saying things, oh, they're just being dramatic or overreacting, they'll get over it. And we just can't respond that way anymore. That's too dangerous. And so it's a culture shift for our generation to say, OK, you know, they're talking about um suicide and let's call 911 let's get them to the hospital you know this is not a drill this is the real thing and we've got to really respond like this is a medical emergency what are different things that faith communities can do to help address these issues so breaking the silence is the number one thing and to get rid of the stigma and to really provide life-giving theology around mental health And to say to people in worship, during a sermon, during prayers, you know, God loves you and God loves people who have depression, who have eating disorders, who have addictions, who use substances, that um, there's hope and healing. And we pray for people who have schizophrenia. We pray for people who have suicide. And to say that our mental health is physical health and to help educate people that mental health challenges are caused by the environment, right? It could be a situation like the pandemic, and sometimes it's genetic. So basic education churches can do, and they are doing, they're partnering with mental health um, first aid. And so that's a great, you know, eight-hour training. Churches are bringing in that training and getting folks trained in mental health first aid. Churches and faith communities are partnering with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, bringing in support groups. And that's a great way to get involved. And another way for children is for churches to create mental health clubs. Hmm. And I see this working in a way that's so cool because it empowers the children and teens to do their own conversations with each other and to bring in the education and resources. Hmm. And it also develops leadership skills. What I see a lot in kids who have mental health challenges is it becomes a calling. You know, they realize how much they've been helped and they say, wow, I can help other people. And so they want to grow up and be therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors, social workers. And so it's just so beautiful to see a child so empowered by their own healing journey that then they get the sense that, wow, I can be a wounded healer. You know, I can share this gift with other people. Mm, wow. So, you know, a few minutes ago, we were talking about the mental health and marriage conference, you know, that has uh, taken place. Do you, are there already things or do you see things coming that can be uh, more youth oriented? So mental health support for youth through churches or, you know, something of that nature. I would love to see a movement like that take off. Uh, We certainly need it. And I'm part of a think tank with the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, And we are meeting this summer to have a summit of how faith communities can help provide support to youth mental health. So that's exciting. 
I'm also partnering with faith communities around the country coming in for a few days, and we're going to have an event for faith communities, and then we're doing an event for the school communities and for mental health care providers, because that's really the opportunity is to partner across our silos. So to have faith communities, partner with school communities, partner with mental health provider communities, right? Uh, Because none of us can do this alone. It's too big of a crisis. The needs are overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And so it's really the opportunity to come together. Very cool. So if you had to say one thing that you'd like people to take away from the new book, what would it be? I want to invite you for a moment to visualize a child in your life that is special to you. Think of their face. Think of what makes you laugh. Think of the worries you hold in your heart for their life. This child that you love, this is why we're called to this work. It's for the sacred child in your life and in my life and all the children that we love. And so I am hopeful that we can all respond to this call to action, to bless our youth, to surround them with unconditional love, and to create a space where we can say it's okay to not be okay. We've got you. We're going to hold you and be with you through this. I don't want any child to feel alone or isolated. There was research done by the CDC about um, what are the dynamics for youth who have depression and anxiety? And the number one contributing factor across the board was disconnection. Hmm. Hmm. High schoolers who reported feeling disconnected from others had high rates of anxiety, high rates of depression, and thoughts of suicide. So if we can connect every child to someone else in a way that feels loving and supportive, we're going to save lives. Sarah, uh, you've written several books, you know, obviously on different aspects of mental health and faith, um, and you're right in the middle of a new one, right, that you're just launching right now. But do you have any plans for future books that you can talk about? I have a couple of ideas floating out there. So it's exciting. I have a lot of energy and passion for this work. And every day through conversations, um, my own prayers and scripture reading, I'm, I'm learning more and, and growing more as a person. And so I look forward to continuing uh, being in conversation with others and learning together. Good, wonderful. Well, you know, as I said, the title of the book is Blessed Youth, Breaking the Silence About Mental Illness with Children and Teens. You can learn more about uh, that book and all of Sarah's work at sarahgriffithlund.com. Um, Sarah, congratulations on all the wonderful work that you're doing. It's just so impressive to see where you've come you know, over the last few years and how much you're healing, how much you're helping people, how much you're serving the needs of an audience that has been traditionally neglected. So uh, thank you so much for all of that. Thank you. It's my honor and great joy.